You're listening to Second on the Mount, a podcast of sermons from Second Presbyterian Church, located on Mountain Avenue in Roanoke, Virginia. We are glad you found us. My name is Elizabeth Link, and I'm the executive pastor. Each week, we climb into the pulpit with a bit of fear and trembling. We hope and pray that what we have to say is true to God's will for the church and may encourage and challenge you on your journey of discipleship. Please rate and review if you enjoy. May the Spirit have some word for you in what we have to share. Please join your hearts with me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture passage for today comes from the New Testament Gospel of Mark in chapter 6. There's a lot happening in chapter 6. Before we come to our passage, Jesus has just been rejected from his hometown, sent the twelve out on mission. Then we come to the first part of our verses. I'll be reading from verses 30 through 34, and then picking up again at verse 53 through 56. What we miss in the middle is the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. If you have your pew Bible with you, I invite you to turn to page 813. So I begin at Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Hear these words for the church today. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to even eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going, and they recognized them. They hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Continuing in verse 53, when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever he was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A lot happens in Mark chapter 6. Jesus is rejected in his hometown. He sends the twelve on mission. John the Baptist is killed. Jesus feeds 5,000 and walks on water. These are major events. Yet the passage we just read from the same chapter pales in comparison. Sure, Jesus heals many people near the end, but otherwise, our verses seem to have missed the dramatic boat. Things happen fast in Mark. One event quickly flows to the next. You get the sense that time is short. The Greek word we translate as immediately in English occurs over 40 times in the gospel. 
Mark has only 16 chapters, so that's an average of 2.5 immediately's every chapter. Jesus moves quickly from one healing to the next, from one parable to another. The scenes are hopping. The urgency in Mark is reflected in our verses for today. After the apostles relay all they had done and taught on their mission, Jesus recognizes their need to rest. Jesus calls them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. They cross the lake in a boat, but they do not get the rest Jesus prescribes for them because many people saw them going and recognized them and they hurried there on foot all into the towns and arrived ahead of him. Not only was Jesus' mission expanding, but people literally tracked Jesus down. Mark describes the people as running faster on foot than Jesus and his disciples traveling by boat. The urgency in the gospel and the people's need for it are too great to waste any time. It all sounds exhausting, really. The disciples must have been so tired. They've been on the move, healing, casting out demons, and preaching the good news to anyone who would listen. They're tired, overstimulated, underfed, and in need of a rest. Meanwhile, remember, John the Baptist has just died. Jesus has lost his cousin, the prophet who prepared the way and inaugurated Jesus' ministry with baptism. Jesus is heartbroken. Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. Jesus says, come away. We hear both a tenderness and a longing in these words. Yes, Jesus wants to provide a time of rest and recuperation for his friends, but he is also weary himself. The hunger he articulates is his own. Here, we have a glimpse of Jesus' human life. We recognize his need to withdraw, his desire for solitude and prayer, his sleepiness, his inclination to hide. This glimpse at Jesus' humanness reminds us that while Jesus is divine, Jesus is also somehow like us. It reminds us that God, the God of the whole universe, grows weary, hungers, sleeps, eats, withdraws, even grieves. In all these mundane and crucial ways, our God is like us. Our God rests. He is also like us, and that sometimes his best laid plans go awry. His boat idea doesn't pan out because the crowds anticipate it and follow on foot. By the time Jesus and the disciples reach the shore, the crowds are there waiting, wanting to see Jesus, hoping to touch him, hear him, be healed by him. I imagine on a more trivial scale, it is a bit like being the popular one with your kid. Our three-year-old daughter has a perfectly good, more than good father, who can do anything that her mommy can do. Sometimes he does things even better than I can do. But when daddy offers to get her out of bed so mommy can sleep in for a few minutes, or to take her to the bathroom in the middle of another meal, 
All she wants is for mommy to do it. Now, I love her, and I know there will be a day when I long to hear those words again, but sometimes I just want to hear her say, I want daddy to do it. When Jesus gets to shore and everyone wants him or wants something from him, he could say it's too much. He could turn the boat around and sail back in the opposite direction. No one would blame him. Everyone needs a break. But that's not what he chooses, of course. As Mark describes it, Jesus went ashore. He saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. He had compassion for them. As strange as it is to describe aloud, especially from the pulpit, the Greek word for compassion is related to one's bowels being moved, meaning you literally feel a shift, a change in your body when you feel compassion. Compassion is something you feel deep in your core. It's something that could change you from the inside, something that could move you to action. As Frederick Buechner describes it, compassion is the capacity for feeling what it is like to live in somebody else's skin. Jesus had compassion for them. Jesus felt what it was like to live in these people's skin. That's not an easy way to live, is it? To feel. I mean, really feel what other people feel. My friend Drew is a pastor in Pennsylvania. He's a member of my preaching group, By the Vine. Drew serves an inner-city church built around a medical ministry in an underserved neighborhood. Early last summer, tragedy struck his church and neighborhood when a 14-year-old member named Tyrone was shot and killed in the street. An innocent child. He baptized him four years ago. This boy was an acolyte in his church, and Tyrone was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. But that doesn't explain it really, does it? No, it was more than that. Tyrone was a victim of his circumstance, the result of injustice, poverty, and societal failure. Drew has always had concern for the class division and racial divides and gun violence that riddled his neighborhood. He writes that now, however, he knows that what we see in the news about gun violence and protests, what we may feel about racial and class divisions, it is no abstraction for our church. He has seen. He has literally walked alongside the grief experienced by the children and adults in his neighborhood as he sat with that young man's mother, as he's marched in the street for reform, and as he preached outdoors at a funeral service in the height of COVID in a packed city park. He writes, to think that these are issues that do not impact the lives of our own church is to make invisible the children of God. His heart doesn't ache for his neighbors. His heart aches with his neighbors. Jesus knew what it was like to live in somebody else's skin. 
He knew what it was like for them to feel wounded and sick, lonely and heartbroken, rejected and abused. He understood the ways their bodies let them down. Their community and social structure had let them down, how their leaders had let them down. After all, their leader was meant to be their shepherd. The leader was supposed to feel compassion for them. So who was supposed to be shepherding these sheep? Why, the king, of course. Herod, the very one who had taken John the Baptist from this world. But Jesus is the one who had compassion for them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. His words are more than pastoral. They are also a critique of Herod. Herod, the one who was supposed to rule with compassion, the one who was supposed to shepherd his flock like David, has not only failed to show compassion, he has wrought pain and suffering to his people. Herod holds a feast for the wealthy. Jesus feeds 5,000 on the grass. For Mark, no earthly king can compare. Jesus is the one who shepherds the flock. In Jesus, God gets involved, embedded in our lives here on earth. This is not a God who creates us and leaves us all to our own devices. This is a God who feels what we feel who needs rest like we need rest, a God who is one among us, who is one of us. And yet this God, who is one of us, has, unlike us, boundless patience, and unlike us, boundless compassion. He sees beneath the surface and gets to the heart of the matter. So when the boat lands at Gennesaret and the crowds go wild, pushing and jostling to get close to Jesus, he has compassion. The people carry their sick to him on mats. In every village and city Jesus approaches, swarms of people wanting, needing something from him, line the marketplaces. They press against him. They plead. They beg to touch the fringe of his robe and receive healing. And Jesus' response? Compassion. For all who touched him were healed. Two Sundays ago, I preached on the hemorrhaging woman in Mark chapter 5. All she did was touch the hem of Jesus' clothes, and she was healed. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. She'd spent all she had on doctors and treatments that only made her worse. But she believed if she could just touch the hem of his garment, she would be made well. In that same chapter, Jairus' 12-year-old daughter died. Then Jesus broke all protocol touching her dead body, and bringing her to life again. All who touched him were healed. Some people's ailments are plain as day to see. Others' illness, grief, anguish, exhaustion are packed far beneath the surface. It takes a shepherd who can sense who can feel what it's like to walk around in another person's skin to recognize the truth. So I wonder, where are you hurting? What makes you so tired? What keeps you awake at night? We live in a world of acute and constant need. 
Sheep die without their shepherds. The good news is not only that Jesus was attentive to his disciples then, he is attentive to us now. He sees what is pushing and pulling at us as we go throughout our day. He knows what will happen if we fall into the trap of working too hard to try to fix ourselves without attending to our souls and our spiritual and emotional needs. When we do not stop to think, to ponder, to wonder, and to pay attention and pray, Jesus says, come away to a deserted place a while. Things happen fast in Mark. Things happen fast in this life. The world, our health, our friends, sometimes our family, our leaders will let us down. It is inevitable. But Mark is here to tell us. I am here to tell you. Jesus sees. Jesus knows. And Jesus invites us to something better, something safer as the children said, the care, the something that is deeper than this life. So my prayer for us is that we may know the peace of Christ. May you trust in the one who has compassion. May you follow the good shepherd and find your rest in him. Second Presbyterian Finding Direction by Following Jesus